0: Matthew 24. Uh, Preaching our way through this text here. Got some more kingdom parables coming up right now. We're looking at signs of the coming of Jesus Christ. Amen. He's coming. Most people are not looking for his coming. But those of us who are born again and are walking with the Lord and are walking in the spirit are looking for his coming we're going to talk about uh some more signs of jesus's return tonight but we got some kingdom parables coming up that are really going to sober us up about the 10 virgins and having oil in our lamps and all kinds of uh interesting possibilities here for the church but let's thank god for matthew 24 in just a moment i'm going to read verses 7 and 8 and uh First, we're going to thank him for the word tonight. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for this treasure you've given us, the word of God. Sixty six books that all point to Jesus, a blueprint, a road map, a manual for living. Father, it's all these things to us. Father, I pray that each of us would be hungry and thirsty for the word. Thank you for these people who are here on a Wednesday night to hear your word. Father, by the Holy Spirit, give us a deposit from your heart tonight that each of us would get what we came for and father I know you can do that because your spirit is amazing and you you know the yearnings of our hearts. so father fill every every desire tonight and father if there's no desire I pray that you would give us one a hunger and a thirst for your word I pray in Jesus name amen Matthew 24 7 and 8 For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes, and it says pestilences in most versions. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Say birth pangs. If you've ever had a baby, you know what a birth pang is. If you've ever been the breathing coach, you know what to tell your partner when they're having a birth pang. Was I a good breathing coach? Amen. I took my job seriously. So we're talking about signs here. Jesus' disciples ask him, what are the signs of your coming going to be? And Jesus responds to them, probably giving them more than they bargained for, but he tells them these signs. And we saw the first sign that, of Jesus' coming would be false Christs, false messiahs. We talked about that. And we talked about wars and rumors of wars. And Jesus said, these things have to happen. Don't be afraid. Uh, They have to happen. So uh, buckle in there and keep your eyes on me. Then nations and kingdoms will be in complete opposition uh, against one another. The nations are going to be fragmented. We talked about that. Why does that need to happen? To create a vacuum for the Antichrist to swoop in and seemingly solve the world's problems. They're going to be real happy with this world leader at first, but quickly it's going to turn downhill uh, after the first three years of the tribulation, the great tribulation will start and the judgments will be poured out. So uh, you, you've got wars and rumors of wars, kingdoms and complete opposition. Then last time we were together, we talked about famines. And nothing gets man's attention quicker than an empty belly. These signs are supposed to get mankind's attention. Amen? It's amazing what it takes to get our attention. In fact, I don't have some of your attention right now. And the thing is, we can be so easily distracted. All we need is a game, a stupid game on a phone. or a, I mean, there's times where I'm telling people to be quiet because I'm watching the commercials on TV. I mean, how easily are we distracted? And so, you know, that hungry belly will get your attention. And God is giving these signs to get mankind's attention to Get them to wake up and see that he's returning, that it's time to get right with him. It's time to be in line with him. It's time to come to Jesus. Uh, Famines were something that we covered in detail last time. If you weren't here, you can get the message online. Now, it continues with pestilences and earthquakes. Famines, pestilences, and earthquakes. If that's the weather for the day, I'm going back to sleep. But think about that. Let's talk about pestilences tonight. So Webster's Dictionary gives us a working definition of the word pestilence, a contagious or infectious epidemic disease that's virulent and devastating. Does that sound familiar to anyone? And some of you still look clueless. COVID-19 was a pestilence. We just lived through a pestilence. And the Bible's talking about pestilence as being a sign of his coming. Now, a contagious, infectious, epidemic disease that is virulent and devastating. You know, there are examples throughout history. I'm going to cover some of them tonight, but the bubonic plague and, you know, all of these plagues and these pestilences that have happened in the past. We've, we've lived through COVID-19. Is it a sign of the times? Absolutely, it is. You know, it's something that Jesus said would happen and would happen more frequently as he, he was getting ready to come. Now, the potential impacts of a pestilence should be fresh in our minds, but we're gonna dig in a little deeper tonight. We've just endured one. It wasn't the worst one, as we see the ones that have happened throughout history. I mean, COVID-19 was the flu on steroids. That's about it. Okay? Now they try to make more of it than it was, but when we look back and see some of the pestilences and some of the plagues that have hit humanity, you're gonna be shocked at the death toll that they had. So These pestilences can impact us in a big way. And there are several reasons why pestilences are so destructive to mankind. And the first one is this. They're deadly, and they instantly invoke crippling fear upon populations. You know, if you're fighting an army, if you're fighting a nation, if you're fighting a political ideology, you can see it, you can feel it, you can touch it. Uh, An airborne disease that you can't see, that you can't touch, that you don't understand, that is crippling to a population. And so pestilences have a, you know, famine will get your attention, an empty belly, but the fear that a pestilence can generate upon the population is crippling. And it's, you know, it's something that we have just gotten a little taste of so we can relate to it a little better. Uh, Number two, the reason pestilences are so destructive is that they are hard to understand and they create mass confusion. If you look at the pestilences that hit the populations in the Middle Ages, they thought all kinds of wacky things about them. And, you know, there were spiritual reasons. Well, it only affects sinners. And then righteous people started dying. Well, you know, it only does this and it only does that. And it only if you live here. And people don't understand them. How many would admit that during COVID-19, it was really hard to understand what was going on? Come on, Wednesday night. I mean, there are times where you one person saying this and another person saying this and one doctor saying this and the other doctor saying no 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 and and there's people that you know you did want to trust and then you found out you couldn't trust them. And so all that confusion creates mass hysteria and adds more stress to the situation. Number three, pestilences are destructive to mankind because they're invisible and they're unseen killers, and that's terrifying. Mm. Number four, they create power vacuums and are easily exploited by uh, groups of people who want to control others. It's a heyday for the tyrants and the megalomaniacs. In the Middle Ages, the churches stepped in and, you know, said all kinds of things about plagues and pestilences and stuff and buying indulgences and, you know, you could do this and you can do that. And they basically fleeced the people and scared the people to control the people. This was the church. So pestilences are a big deal and they are very destructive and they can, you know, uh, paralyze a population with terror. We've seen it to a large degree. We can relate to this one sign. Now, believe it or not, you would think, well, pestilences are so horrible, you know, that it's got to be the devil. God has used pestilences in the scripture to deal with his own people. How many people realize that? God has used them. Let's take a look. God used pestilences in the Old Testament as a means of divine judgment. Second Chronicles 7.13, when I shut up the heavens so there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. You say, who's talking there? Is that the enemy? No, that's God Almighty. He's saying, I shut up the heavens and I stop the rain. I command locusts to devour the crops. I send pestilence on the wicked, right, Lord? Pestilence among my people. Oh, it's going to be a long Wednesday night, I can tell. Two examples of this. God sent a plague of pestilence upon the Israelites in response to their worship of Aaron's golden calf. You remember what happened? Moses went up the mountain. He, he, he was up there a long time. The people got restless. Aaron couldn't control them. He makes an idol, an image for them to worship. When Moses comes back down from the mountain, they're in full-blown, you know, idolatry, immorality, worshiping a golden camp. And Moses is like, Aaron, what happened? He's like, I just put it in the fire and it popped out. Remember what Aaron said? Oh, really, Aaron, just popped out. And so Moses loses his mind, and God is upset, and in Exodus 32, 35, it says this, and the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. So here, God uses a pestilence, a disease, a virus, an airborne pathogen to judge the wickedness of his own people. You say, well, that was a one-time deal. No, it's happened many times. All of those pestilences in Egypt that uh, attacked the Egyptians, that was God. And how about when David took a census and counted the people, David decided, you know, his kingdom was doing so good, he wanted to kick back and take inventory and see how powerful he had gotten and how large the people had grown. And God never told him to do that. You might think the God of the Old Testament you know, had some anger issues when he lashes out and does these things. But the only thing that holds back the, the, the wrath of God for us now is the grace that comes through the blood of Jesus. He's the same God. Wednesday night, he's the same God. He's the same God. But it's the blood of Jesus. It's the grace of God. It's the covenant that we're in that spares us from his wrath. To the point where the New Testament says we weren't made for wrath. David counted the people. God didn't tell him. It angered the Lord so badly, he sent a judgment upon them. 2 Samuel 24, 15. So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel from the morning until the appointed time. And listen, and there died of the people from Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 men. 70,000 dead in one day. God says, you want to number the people? I'll, I'll, uh, you want to think that your kingdom has grown large? You want to think that you're in control? I'll shrink them by 70,000 in a day to get your attention, David. Wow. So God has used pestilence before. Now you think, well, thank God, that's the Old Testament. God took an anger management class. He doesn't do that anymore. What about pestilences in the New Testament? Well, the book of Revelation tells us about pestilences that will happen in the apocalyptic tribulation periods that are to come, Revelation 6:8. and I looked, and behold, a pale horse. Say, a pale horse. If you see a pale horse, go back inside. <laughs> I looked, and a, behold, a pale horse, and its rider was named Death, and hell followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth, listen, to kill with sword and with famine, and with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. How many want to go when Jesus comes to get the church and be raptured? Amen. I'm so glad that because of Jesus, we don't have to stick around for this. But look what happens. The pale horse goes out, and kills with the sword. So what was the first sign? Wars and rumors of wars. There it is. It's happening again. This is going to be during the tribulation period. And then famine, so empty bellies. And with pestilence, number three. And then it says, with wild beasts of the earth, all the tree huggers, and all those that worship animals and worship the creation more than the creator. You're going to see them running down the street with lions chasing them. I'm the only one that thinks this is funny, just me and Rachel. <laughs> Think about it. You worship creation, you worship the animals. You you esteemed animals is more important than people. And the animals of the world are gonna turn on the population and decimate them. I wish there were some Christians here tonight. <laughs> All right, I'll move on. So pestilence is part of the signs. It's happened in the Old Testament, it's happened in the New Testament. Again, as with other signs, there has always been pestilence. There have always been these pathogens and these viruses that have plagued humanity. Uh, And we're going to do a quick little plague history. Won't that be fun? So there have been plagues for a long time. I talked about the bubonic plague Uh, that happened, and they called it the Black Death. And it killed between, listen to this, 25 and 30 million people. I mean, think about that. We're going to look at some other signs, and they're scary and stuff. But, you know, famine kills, but plagues kill wholesale. Smallpox in Mexico killed 8 million people. The Great Plague of London in 1665 uh, killed 1 million people. The Spanish flu killed 50 million people. Wow. Wow. We had the Russian plague in 1770 killed a million. The Russian flu killed a million. The Asian flu, 1.1 million. The Hong Kong flu, uh, you know, this idea of flus and viruses and all these things killing people. Hong Kong flu in 1968 to 1970 killed a million people. Uh, COVID-19 is up to 6.6 million people. You had MERS and SARS and swine flu Uh, killed half a million people. So, you know, throughout history, you can look and see, and I'm just kind of covering the ones that are fairly covered, you know, kind of, you know, these are ones that we might be familiar with because they're current. But throughout history, this stuff, I mean, you think when populations didn't have adequate sanitation and they didn't understand how disease was spread and they didn't have medical science to scare the heck out of them? I mean... Millions of people have died through flus and viruses and pathogens. And you say, "Well, what's different about what's going to happen to the point where it's not just the same old, same old? Well, there again, we said it's, you know, the frequency and the duration and the magnitude of them are going to increase and accelerate to the point that people are going to be, what's going on? And at the same time, there's going to be famines, and at the same time, there's going to be earthquakes, and at the same time, there's going to be war everywhere. Do You see, when you have all these signs increasing exponentially all at once, the, everyone in the world is going to be like, this, the world's coming unglued. And that's to get people's attention that Jesus is returning. Now, We've seen God use pestilence in the Old Testament. We hear about what's coming in the book of Revelation. We've seen the history of uh, plagues and viruses and all these deadly epidemics throughout world history. The scariest thing now is that we've moved into an interesting uh, place in time where now because of science, men can actually harness and engineer these plagues and weaponize them to use them for their own wicked purposes. In the Old Testament, God used these plagues to judge the wicked. In our era that we're living in now, we're seeing the wicked use them to accomplish their wickedness. And that should get your attention. And so there's going to be famines. There's going to be plagues. There's going to be more of it. The good news for believers is that, with, as with all pestilences, the worst a pestilence can do is kill your body. Well, I'm a Christian, I'll never... No, you can't say that. There have been Christians who died of these things. And it was, well, they must have had some secret sin, or they must have been doing something really bad, or they must have been just kidding about being a Christian. No, Christians die of these things sometimes. You say, why, Pastor Rick? I don't understand why. All I know is that all pestilence can do is kill the body. It can't kill the soul. So the worst the pestilence can do to me and to you is to send us into the arms of Jesus. So there, we shouldn't be afraid. We should not be afraid of these things, amen? That's why, that's why the church is such a problem for the world, because the world says, you need to be afraid. And the church says, we're not afraid. Well, you're an anti-vaxxer. You're an anti-science denier. You're a blah, 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 whatever label they want to throw on you. no. I'm going to live free. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to know that he's going to take me home when it's my time, and I'm not going to be afraid. So don't be afraid of these things, but understand, they are going to be part of the end time signs. They're going to happen at an accelerated race. And all they can do to us is kill the body, but God can protect us from them as well. You know, when God sent plagues and all all kinds of judgments on Egypt, remember what he did? He protected the children of Israel in the midst of the plagues. And you go back and study it, how he poured these things out. And, you know, they afflicted the Egyptians, the frogs and the lice and the death of the first and all these things. But they did not afflict the children of Israel. Why? Especially with the last plague when the death angel killed the firstborn. What did they do? They put the blood over the doorpost. Amen. You and I have the blood over the doorpost of our lives. God can protect us. From whatever he sends out to get the world's attention or to judge the wicked, God is well able to judge the wicked while protecting the righteous. He can walk and chew gum at the same time. And so don't be afraid uh, when we talk about these things. They are coming, and we're going to see more of a frequency of them. But God is able to keep us. And if, if we get taken out by one of them, the worst that can happen is we wind up in heaven for eternity. I don't know about you, but I'm ready. So unfortunately, there's going to be more pestilences. There will also be another common occurrence in the earth that will be a sign of his coming, and that will be earthquakes. So earthquakes will begin to happen like the other signs at a more accelerated race. They're going to just, you know, you're going to be surprised how, how many earthquakes there are. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of earthquakes every year. And most of them are very small, and we don't feel them, or they're not here. But we hear about the big ones. And Jesus is saying there's going to be earthquakes. You know, what's the point of this? You know, it's about getting man's attention. An empty belly will get man's attention. A pestilence will get man's attention. And when the whole earth shakes and you're on it, that will get your attention. Has anyone here ever been in an earthquake? You have? I I don't think I ever have. Maybe New York shook a little bit. I don't know a couple times I I slept through it I think but if you've been through an earthquake and a sizable one uh, the people who have uh, they've told me man it is the scariest thing I mean it's just like you know the whole earth is rocking and no one you know you didn't get the memo so these things have a way of getting our attention if you ever been in one if you haven't you know maybe we'll experience that at some point here But earthquakes happen all the time. They're going to happen at an accelerated pace. The U.S. Geological Service, USGS, has been monitoring the occurrence of earthquakes and volcanic activity for some time now. Uh, They have all kinds of equipment and seismographs and data and all this stuff. And they have charts and they have, I mean, they're really on top of what's going on with what's going on in the earth. And if you check into the, you know, the USGS community, you're going to hear a lot of common themes that they're talking about big stuff to come. How many people are aware that they've been forecasting some big, big earthquakes? Um, It's something that is, you know, it's on the horizon. Now, uh, the burning question for every one of us who follow Bible prophecy is are earthquakes happening more and more frequently these days? Is the rate increasing? Is it accelerating? This question is hard to answer definitively because earthquakes are kind of like the weather. You know, it comes, there's ups and downs and there's peaks and valleys. How, how many know they, all this nonsense about climate change? It's, it's just weather, They haven't collected data long enough about the weather to really develop any patterns on a scientific level. That's the truth. They haven't had the data. So, you know, we had ice ages and we had some other stuff go on and they have no data about that. But now the temperature goes up this year. We're all gonna burn alive. The oceans are coming, the ice caps are melting. And then the next year it's cold. Well, we're gonna freeze to death now and it's gonna be another ice age. And I don't know about you, but I'm not buying what they're selling because the Bible tells me here exactly how the earth is going to end. And it didn't say anything about global warming and me <laughs> driving a car that uses gasoline. And Someone get a Bible. So, you know, there are rumblings in the USGS community about what's to come. You know, and and are they increasing? Well, I looked at a lot of data. I looked at a lot of websites, you know, uh, spent some time studying here, and the the question is hard to answer definitively because there's different camps and different ideas about it. But here's a snapshot of the USGS data from 1973 to 2014. And I'll let you draw a conclusion here. It seems to show a steady up tick in the frequency of seismic activity. In 1973 there were 4539 earthquakes. 74, 4528. So see it went down a little bit there. But then in 2000 it jumped to 19131. 2010, 23040. 2011, 23 329. So it jumps up into a new bracket and then it starts moving higher. 2013, 89,622 earthquakes for that year. And listen to this 2014, the last day on the chart, 118,404. So there is a steady uptick. It happens in jumps. You know, you know maybe this year it'll go down, like the weather up and down, up and down. But when the signs are sent to get people's attention, they're going to happen more rapidly, more frequently, and they're going to happen more violently so that everybody pays attention. Now, earthquakes are measured on what's known as the Richter scale. I invented it. It's the Richter. No, I'm just kidding. It, It's the Richter scale, right? It had nothing to do with me. There was a seismologist uh, who invented it, Charles F. Richter, in 1935. And it measures the earthquake's magnitude using a logarithm and some amplitudes of seismic activity, and it calibrates that on a seismograph. So basically, they're always listening, always watching. And they've got these devices out, and when the earth rumbles and the earth shakes, it's measured. And when it's measured, they chart it, and they, uh, they compare it to other seismic events, and then they put it on a scale from one to, I guess, 10. I don't think we've ever had a 10. Um, in fact, as I was studying this, I couldn't find any uh, earthquake that was a 10. Maybe when these signs start coming, and, and God's trying to get man's attention, maybe there'll be one ten after another. But, you know, the, the the, the charts show over the years that every year there's thousands and thousands of these little earthquakes, maybe ones or twos, but there's only three or less every year that are over eight. Now, when you get a, an earthquake that's over eight, and 8.2 on the Richter scale, that's when it's on TV, that's when it's in the papers, that's when it's a, there's loss of life and everybody pays attention. So, these big seven and eight earthquakes really grab people's attention, and I'll, I'll tell you when some of them happen. Uh, the, you know, these earthquakes come and they, they shake uh, the earth. The, the biggest one in the U.S. are all three of the ones that hit the U.S. that were the big ones were all in Alaska. How many are glad we don't live in Alaska? Well, Prince William Sound in 1964 got hit with a 9.1. On the Richter scale, Rat Island in 1956 got hit with an 8.7, and the Andronoff Islands in 1956 in Alaska an 8.6. Nothing like that on the mainland of uh, the United States, but seismologists predict that, you know, at this, who's heard of the St. Andreas Fault Line? Well, that thing, is it's not when it's going to pop. It's not if it's going to pop, it's when. And when it does, they're, they're predicting some crazy stuff like California uh, california's going to lose a, a lot of voting block right there they say seattle is going to go into the ocean wow and california oh. yeah they say all kinds of stuff i guess we're going to see what happens here but they they're looking at that and you know we haven't had a massive one uh, th- the amount of people that are killed In earthquakes, when they come, even the big ones is is less than the the famines and kind of less than, you know, what we just talked about with the pestilences. But here are the top uh, death tolls for earthquakes over time. In uh, Shangji, China, uh, in 1565, 830,000 people were killed. Tokyo, Japan, in 1923, 142,000 were killed. Uh, Tang Song, China, 1976, 242,000 killed. Uh, Sumatra, Indonesia in 2004, 227,000 killed. And Port-au-Prince, Haiti in 2010, probably one a lot of us remember, 316,000 people killed. So, I mean, earthquakes are killers. But more than that, they're psychological Uh, Events where you know the amount of people that die, though significant, is dwarfed compared to the amount of people who uh, who have just been grabbed and they that the God of Heaven shook the earth and now all of a sudden people are like whoa. You know I don't know about you but sometimes lightning can get me to repent. You know you hear the forces of nature are just incredible and you're gonna see God using these things so. You know, some statistics there that we can look at, some predictions that we've heard about, you know, hitting our country at some point. All of this stuff is all part of how God will use earthquakes as a sign to get humanity's attention that Jesus is coming back. He's going to use famines. He's going to use pestilences. He's going to use earthquakes. Now, as crazy as all of this stuff is, verse 8 is pretty interesting, and we're going to close down with this. It says this in verse 8, all these are the beginnings of sorrows. So Jesus is saying, you're going to see these things. They're going to happen more frequently. They're going to get everybody buzzing and everybody talking and everybody's attention. But that's not the end, and that's not when I'm going to come. It's just the beginning of sorrows. Now, while these signs that Jesus is giving to the disciples seem to be Overwhelming and kind of scary. They are not part of what's known as the tribulation period. See, these are just what? The beginning of sorrows. They're the birth pangs. They are the kind of the precursor to the tribulation period. Now, when the tribulation period happens, uh, most theologians these days, you know, in evangelical circles, agree that the church will be raptured before the tribulation. I've studied this for decades, and I just, can't, I just can't make the other theories work. I can't see Jesus letting his bride go through the tribulation and beating the, just beating the heck out of his bride and giving Israel instructions on how to survive and what to do and saying nothing to his church. So I, I can't get over the fact that in the book of Revelation, after chapter uh, 3 and 4, the church is gone and is not talked about again until chapter 20. So, you know, people have their different understandings, but I I think that, you know, it's safe to say that God is going to take care of us. But the tribulation period is when it's going to really get crazy. Now, all of these other things are just birth pangs. They're just the beginning of sorrows, as Jesus says. So as bad as these events will be, especially when they happen at a rapid tempo simultaneously, Think about all the things I've described to you over the weeks. Think about them happening every day, constantly. So th- that's going to be crazy, but Jesus is basically saying that's going to seem benign when compared to the judgments of the tribulation period. When the seven seals are opened, when the seven bowls of wrath are poured out, when the seven trumpet judgments hit the earth, and all of these things are poured out on the earth, it's going to make what Jesus is describing here seem like child's play and all of this is to get humanity's attention so that they will repent and get saved and not be lost for those of us who are saved and not lost these things should not scare us we should be aware of them we should be watching for them but we should have our eyes on jesus I want to close tonight by just uh, just grab the hand of the person next to you if you're anywhere within the proximity of somebody. But I want to pray. I want to pray for the world. Oh, pray for me, Pastor Rick. Pray for the church. Pray. We're okay. If you're saved, if you're born again, if your name's written in the Lamb book, Lamb's Book of Life, you're okay. Some of you ain't okay, but that's another, that's another sermon but you know what I'm saying? We're okay. Oh, we, uh, let's huddle together and pray for the... No, let's pray for the lost. Let's pray for a world out there that though it's shaking, though it's rumbling, though it's the signs are occurring, they are oblivious and, and they're like the generation of the days of Noah. They're just partying and marrying and drinking and having a good time and the ark is getting built and then it begins to rain. So let's bow our heads tonight. Let's pray. Father, we pray for the world around us. That is not only not looking for these signs, they don't understand them. They, don't need, they can't make sense of them. They use fake science to blame it on, uh, you know, fossil fuels and all kinds of things. And really, you're shaking the earth. You're sending these pestilences. You're doing these things to wake humanity up. And we realize that the tempo is going to increase and It's going to get a little bit hotter. Father, we pray for those whose eyes are blinded by the things of this world. Uh, You can agree with me while I'm praying here. Uh, We're praying, Lord God, that you would open their eyes and that they would see and that they would be drawn to the light, that there would be enough light in us and enough light in Full Gospel Center and enough light in your churches, Lord, that would draw the lost, that when these things happen and they're scared and they're confused and they want answers, that the church would be awake and the church would be watching and we would have the answers and we would bring them to Jesus. Father, help us, Lord God, not to just be students of eschatology, not just to look at the signs of the times, but to realize our job is to preach the gospel to the lost. Set a fire in us, God. Set a fire in your church. Set a fire in your pulpits, in your pastors. Set a fire in your people to pray, Lord God. Help us to shake off, Lord, the distractions because there's a world out there that needs Jesus. And we have the solution to their dilemma. So help us, Lord, not to just watch for the signs, but to do our job and to make disciples and to preach the gospel and to make converts of all men. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.